Hello, a happy new year to you and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth, your 15-minute programme of Bible teaching and hymn singing. At this season, as well as Easter, the music of Handel's Messiah and the words of Scripture evoke powerfully the passion of Christ and his terrible suffering at the crucifixion. Music expresses his emotional agony and sorrow quite remarkably. Ever since it was written, millions have enjoyed it, fresh every year. The title of today's study is The Suffering Servant, where we read of it in Peter's first letter, chapter 2 and verse 24. But now let's go to the study with Brian. Thanks, John. A friend of mine who's a cardiologist was saying to me that when relaxing once with some colleagues, some of whom were Jewish or of Jewish extraction, he'd asked them if he could read them something and get their reaction to it. I should say that they knew that he was a practicing Christian. Well, what did he read to them? Well, he read part or all of Isaiah chapter 53, without stating where it came from. In response, their comments made it very clear that they assumed this was a reading taken from some Christian literature. In other words, they correctly identified that it related to Jesus Christ and his being crucified as a sacrifice for the sins of others. When my cardiologist friend corrected them and informed them that it was in fact from their scriptures, that is from the Old Testament of the Bible, they were profoundly shocked. That's really interesting. Out of its context, they'd no trouble recognising it as describing the death of Jesus Christ. But probably, once they'd heard that it was from the prophet Isaiah, they'd revert to previous conditioning. As an example of what I mean by that, I searched on the internet for what a rabbi might say. I found one who understood the claims of Christianity and who also acknowledged how Isaiah chapter 53 might be interpreted by Christians to relate very clearly to Christ. So how would he prefer to interpret it? He rightly said it contains the words my servant and that this meant God's servant. But he then took that to refer exclusively to the entire nation of Israel and spoke of how they'd suffered terribly throughout history and their suffering was in some sense, in his opinion, redemptive for the world. As I listened to him, I couldn't help but recall the Apostle Paul's words about how a veil lies over the heart of Jews to this very day, such that they can't see that Isaiah chapter 53 is an obvious picture of Christ, painted by Isaiah some 700 years before the events that transpired to fulfil them exactly. I should say, however, that Isaiah does initially identify God's servant as Israel, who serves also as God's witness. But Israel couldn't succeed with this mission. Israel was deaf and blind and in need of God's forgiveness. Israel failed again and again. By contrast, God's servant, the Messiah, faithfully completes all the work he's given to do. What we're hinting at now as we come in particular to Isaiah chapter 53, is that it's part of what's referred to as a song, contained in the book of the prophet Isaiah. There are four of these songs, in fact, and they're generally referred to as the servant songs. In the terminology of the ancient Near East, a servant was a trusted envoy or representative. 
I feel sure that our Lord would have made some mention of these when he outlined to his two companions on that resurrection day walk into the country the various things about himself that were to be found in the Old Testament. At other times too, before or after his resurrection, he could have referred to these songs and the disciples would later pick up on them as the Holy Spirit brought them to remembrance. For example, in Acts chapter 3 verse 13, Peter calls Jesus the servant of God when he talked of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and how he had glorified his servant Jesus. Peter rightly described Jesus as a servant because Jesus always did the will of the Father. He never tried to please himself, but always the Father. Jesus finished the work that the Father had sent him to do, and he'd come to glorify the Father. There are, in fact, six or seven places in the New Testament where Isaiah chapter 53 is quoted from exactly. Let's think about them, shall we? We said the Lord would surely have referred to Isaiah 53, and in fact, we do know that he did in Luke's Gospel, where he quoted Isaiah 53 verse 12 that says that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And so Jesus made sure his disciples took a sword with them as they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Also, in Matthew chapter 8, we read of how Jesus cleanses the leper. He was a centurion's servant and rebukes the fever under which Peter's mother-in-law was suffering, and in fact heals all who were sick. Matthew makes it clear in chapter 8 verse 17 that this was the fulfilment of Isaiah 53 verse 4, which says, Our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. So this text was fulfilled in Jesus' lifetime on earth, and not at the cross. Our physical healing is not yet in the atonement. In another gospel, this time by John, we find a mention of Isaiah 53 verse 1, when John writes, But although he, that's Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John in his gospel adds that Isaiah spoke these things because prophetically and in vision, he saw the Lord's glory, that is, he saw Jesus' glory. In John chapter 12, Jesus is referred to, using Isaiah's words, as the arm of the Lord. This carries the sense of God's power in operation. God's power, the Apostle Paul tells us, is displayed in creation. But here, in the suffering servant, we find where God's power is displayed at its very best. And John's application of Isaiah's text confirms to us the deity of Jesus Christ. The rejection of the Lord Jesus by the leaders in Israel would bring about his crucifixion. The Lord referred to this a number of times so as to prepare the disciples for what was coming. They were slow in understanding his plain words and continued to cling to their Jewish hopes. There are different aspects of the sufferings of Christ, but the verses in 1 Peter 2, from verse 19 onwards, show us the two that we most often think about. First, his suffering in life on account of him being righteous, and secondly, his suffering in death for the sins of others. In making that difference, two separate verses from Isaiah 53 are referred to by Peter in chapter 2 of his letter. As to his sufferings in life, as someone who was righteous, 
Peter quotes Isaiah 53 verse 9, speaking and applying it to Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That's about Jesus' life. Peter is here busy encouraging Christians to live consistently, showing that it's better to live lives that are pleasing to God, even if we suffer as a consequence, than to suffer because of inconsistency. When the Lord Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In the face of all and every provocation, the Lord Jesus remained calm and looked to God. He's left us an example that we should follow in his steps. In connection with his suffering and death on the cross for the sins of others, Peter again quotes part of Isaiah 53, but this time it's from verse 5. By his wounds you were healed. This wounding that brings our healing was not what humans did to the Lord when they scourged him and nailed him to the tree. That was indeed terrible. But what Isaiah 53 verse 5 refers to was far more terrible because it describes the judgment that God laid on him because of the sins that he was bearing. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, our shalom, fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. The Hebrew word for peace or well-being is shalom. His substitution at the cross, Jesus' substitution at the cross, was for our well-being. The disfiguring chastening that fell on him there was for our eternal well-being. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the Ethiopian treasurer who had visited Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and took back with him a precious scroll of scripture. The evangelist Philip was directed to where the Ethiopian was and was encouraged to join himself to his chariot. We have the record of the wonderful conversation that followed. The Ethiopian official was reading Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 and 8, which read, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Beginning from that point, Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian. This was effective and he received Christ. He was baptised and it must have been with real joy that he returned to Ethiopia, now having Christ in his heart as well as the Holy Scriptures in his hand. The New Testament quotation puts lamb where the Old Testament has sheep. It would be cruel for a tender lamb to be sheared, but this could reflect the sadistic cruelty of the abuse our Lord Jesus suffered from human hands. You know, chapters 9 through 11 in the Bible letter to the Romans read as a kind of aside because they explain God's dealings with Israel as a people. They show to us how not all Israel was chosen. God's choice narrowed to Isaac, and then it narrowed further to Jacob, for example. Next, Israel's failure to believe the promises of God is noted by Paul in that section of Romans. Before once more, Isaiah 53 verse 1 is quoted. Lord, who has believed our report? Paul quotes Isaiah again to show how even Israel's failure was in God's sovereign plan to cause blessing to come to Gentile nations. If you believe that Isaiah chapter 53 is talking about Jesus' death for you, then whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you're eternally blessed through knowing him. Praise God. Our ultimate shalom is through the agony 
of Jesus Cross. As usual, I remind you of the advantage of getting the transcript book of all 13 talks in this series. It's available online and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or alternatively you can request a hard copy book by asking for the title Christ in the Old Testament. And don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Blarn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Once again, many thanks for the pleasure of your company. I'd be delighted if you would join us next time when Brian will be looking into Jesus as the Son of Man. But until next time then, it's goodbye and very best wishes for a very happy 2022 from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. We like